The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show. Uncut and uncensored analysis from author and consultant Dan Isard. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Dan Isard. Hi, I'm Dan Isard, and you're listening to The Dan Isard Show on Funeral Radio, the most outrageous, dynamic audio blog for funeral service. In case you don't know anything about me, I'm a valuator, financial and management consultant to funeral homes and cemeteries, writer, speaker, and I have slayed more than one or two dragons in my lifetime. And today I'm going to take you for the next hour through this wild world of electronic digital recording and try to teach you a few things. In show six, I'm going to introduce you to Kaiser and Bender. They're marketing experts and they take their marketing into all aspects of funeral service and cemeteries, including the showroom. I'm going to give you an insight into one of the hottest guys in the real world of commercial casket distribution, Jim Malamas from Ace Caskets. Jim's been featured in Bloomberg recently on their online editions, radio editions, and in print. And I'm going to take you behind the scenes to an artist who has a passion for urns and let you meet Arena Jordan. Of course, during this little get-together, I'm going to also have you meet and spend a few moments with the sick mind of the brilliant Chris Raymond, the expert editor, blogger, writer for About.com's website on death, dying, and grief. And now, let's get to the news. Brought to you by Nomis Publications. In print and online, your real source. Anywhere, anytime. Dateline. The big dugout in the sky. Number 14, Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, died. He became dead and buried and buried in debt. It seems that the beloved elder statesman, of the Chicago Cubs, while inducted into the Hall of Fame of baseball, was not inducted into the Hall of Fame on this earth. His estate arranged for his funeral, spending up to $35,000. However, Donnellan Funeral Home filed a collection notice against Elizabeth Banks, the widow of Ernie. And it seems that Ms. Banks found out sometime after the funeral that Ernie left his money to a caregiver, Regina Rice, leaving nothing for herself or Ernie's kids. So now there's a collection action by a funeral home against the beloved Mr. Cub. And we all know what happens when there's an error in the infield, as there was in this case. Rest in peace, Ernie. Dateline, the virtual world. Ever wonder if you could send a message to your loved ones after you died? Houdini thought about finding a way to do it, but this has to do with a new online memorial that will be very happy to send your final thoughts, pictures, notes, 
to loved ones after you die. Memories of me will send a private email message to up to five people. The message can include a letter, documents, photographs, passwords, financial information. Cost is about $100 for one letter and price breaks for more. I can remember asking my father where his money was shortly before his death, and he told me to see a woman by the name of Helen Waite. In fact, his exact words were, if you want my money, go to Helen Waite. Dateline, Indiana. Alkali hydrolysis bill gets defeated. It seems that a Indiana company manufactures low-cost alkali hydrolysis machines. In case you don't know what one of them are, well, turn off this podcast. You're not in this business. In the event you're in the business but don't know what they look like, imagine a giant gyroscope of a margarita machine. The manufacturer wanted to get his home state to allow AH, and it looked like the vote was going through until one state representative, Dick Ham by name, raised a few eyebrows by opposing this bill. It seems that Mr. Ham owns a casket company. <gasps> which makes his comments on the state house floor a little bit disingenuous and maybe conflicting of interest when he said, now we're talking about we're going to put them in acid and just let them dissolve away, and then we're going to let them run down the drain into the sewers and whatever. Hmm. I don't know that AH is a threat to caskets, but I think that Mr. Ham could be a threat to the casket business. That was the news brought to you by Nomas Publications. In print and online, your real source. Anywhere, anytime. What do more than 2,000 funeral home and 800 cemetery owners have in common? They've trusted the power of the financial and management consulting advice provided by the Foresight Companies and its president, Dan Assard. Merger and acquisition, business succession, accounting, pricing, marketing, web management. Call 800-426-0165 to put the power of foresight to work for you. Back in the 1980s, caskets were made to seem complicated. Here at Ace Caskets, we demystify the casket and offer funeral homes these simple products at prices that are no doubt going to impress you. Get top quality caskets from the top casket importer in the U.S., We have hassle-free logistics, great quality, and great prices. Call now at 888-998-1888. That's 888-998-1888. Call now. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. My first guest today is a team of dynamic individuals, Rich Kaiser and George Ann Bender, of the company known as Kaiser & Bender. Rich and George Ann, welcome to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. I hope our listeners are going to be able to tell you two guys apart as you talk to us today. Well, Thanks, thank you. Dan. It's great to be here with you. You'll be able to tell because I'm Bender. <laughs> I'm a woman, and these guys are, he's a man. So maybe our voice fluctuations will help you out. But we are Kaiser and Bender. Guys, I'm glad you decided to come on my show. You're starting to make a lot of 
people think in funeral service and in the cemetery world. The crazy thing is, how did you guys, who are retail analysts and consultants, how did you guys come into the funeral and cemetery world? Well, it's really interesting. About seven years ago, we got a phone call from um, Brown Wilbert, and they asked us to come and speak at the Minnesota Dakota's Funeral Directors Association because they wanted something fresh and new, and they had read that Rich and I really um, dig into the customer experience. So we started out mystery shopping funeral homes. And when I say mystery shopping funeral homes and also cemeteries, we dig right in. We pretend that we're different kinds of customers. We go in and we experience everything the way a typical customer would come in. So I guess you could say, Rich, we lie our shorts off to go in and find out exactly what it's like to be a customer. We utilize what we do when we walk into every retail store, which we've been doing for over 25 years, but finding out, you know, why should I do business with a particular business? And we find wonderful reasons why we should. And we also see things that perhaps, you know, every day you're in the business, you don't see them. We can point them out to people and really help them improve. So we started doing mystery shops personally. We've also done mystery shops where we send people in to funeral homes and cemeteries. And then we also do focus groups. We talk to people who have, you know, recently lost a loved one within six months to a year. We talk about what their experience was like. We've done the same thing with pets. You know, what's, what's your, what has, what was it like for you? And we put all this information together, and we bring it to various associations and and talk about our experiences, because we really are the typical customer you do business with today. And you know what? That's the key word. You said it, experience. We look at it from the customer's perspective in what was the experience that they had, both in focus groups and our live shopper trips we go on. Rich and George Ann, if any of our listeners happen to go onto your website at Kaiser and Bender, K I Z E R and Bender, B E N D E R dot com, it tells a lot about what you do, but it doesn't tell me what a mystery shopper is. Could you please explain that to our audience? What a mystery shopper is and does. All right, so a typical experience. Say we have a client who wants us to check out what's going on in, a, in his competitive environment. So we will go in and we'll put together a list of all the different funeral homes in the area. And then we visit them one at a time as mystery shoppers. We go in and we pretend to be typical customers. So sometimes we might go in and we might be pre-planning a funeral. Other times we might have have a loved one who is ill and is about to go into hospice. Or sometimes we go in and say, we've just had a death in the family. And we just act like customers. And we ask the same questions that a consumer would ask. And we try and just experience things the way a consumer would experience it. So it's truly a mystery shopper. We go in and dig in and just go through the entire customer experience. And most of the time, we don't give enough information to indicate that we know much about what we're doing, like first-timers. The reason we do that is because as mystery shoppers, we want them to lead. We want to find out how they do lead and how they do, in fact, focus on our needs and create an experience that will be special. So a funeral home can find out what it's like if they want us to mystery shop their particular funeral home. They can find out what it's like to be a customer in their own facility. Or if they want us to find out what's going on in the marketplace and how they stack up, we can do that as well. And this is something that we do, this mystery shopping. This is something that Rich and I do in a big variety of industries because we've been become known as consumer anthropologists. (laughs) And we study 
what happens to a typical consumer in all sorts of different areas? So I guess you could say almost all of our research is really based on it's real tough. life, real life mystery. <laughs> yeah, we do we do all of our own research, so yeah. that's a little bit different than some of the different shop uh, mystery shopping experiences that that people might pay for, but. We really walk in the consumer's shoes. And I think it's important to note that there's even times when we'll be made up to look older or we'll be hard of hearing. I mean, we offer just about anything we can think to the mystery shopping experience so that we will experience like real people do. And, uh, you know, down to the point that we won't take our glasses. And then we wait to see what happens when we say, I can't read the paperwork. Uh, you know, those things are real, and we want to make sure every business is aware of that. Yeah, Dan, that's that's what Rich just said. Sometimes we'll go in looking nice, and sometimes we look in we go in looking not so nice. Sometimes we'll go and work in the yard for a while and look really bad, and go in to see how we're how different people are treated at different times. Um, sometimes Rich will go into a funeral home by himself. Sometimes we'll go in together, or I'll go in, and then we'll separately and we'll compare our experiences so it's it's um it's it's interesting research wow i love the phrase consumer anthropologist what a great descriptive phrase that is you also mentioned that you lead focus groups tell our listeners a little bit about what a focus group is does and what the results are so what we do for a focus group is we'll get about between 12 and 15 people together we meet at a hotel and we tell them in advance what we're going to talk about, that we're going to be talking about their experience with a funeral, with planning a funeral. We've done them for people. We've done them um, for pets. So we bring in these people, and we're all sitting around a big table. We have food. They get paid for that experience. And we talk about their experience. And we have a, a list of questions. We go in and say, you know, tell us about X, Y, and Z. And then generally what happens is they lead the conversation into areas, you know, things that, that happen to them, and then someone else will chime in. And the one thing that we don't do is lead them. We will ask them questions about their experience, but we don't interject anything that ever has happened to us. That way we get the pure comments from a consumer. You know, and it's really interesting. There are different generations that we work with today. Certainly men are different than women, and and we get a pretty good broad spectrum of the experience. And I think it's important, too, to note that when we do the focus groups, we, we always want to speak to people that have actually gone through, in real life, the loss of a loved one and, and have planned and, and buried or cremated. Um, and, and in doing so, we have a rule that says it can be no closer than six months, <clears throat> but no further out than a year and six months. And the reason that we do that is certainly, you know, prior to six months, a lot of emotionalism that, that may be tough on them. On the other side of the coin, uh, if we give them that after six months to a year and a half, it gives them a, the ability to look as a real customer mm -hmm. and say, this is what they did wonderfully or this is what I wish they would have done. And some of the best information comes when we hear someone say, to another participant, they did that for you, that is awesome. And the, when the room starts to celebrate that, we know we've hit on something that we should probably share with every funeral person in the industry. We just let the customer talk. My guests today on the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio, Rich Kaiser and George Ann Bender of Kaiser and Bender, consumer anthropologists and market researchers, and another set of eyes for funeral homes and cemeteries. Rich and Georgiana, I'm curious, what was the greatest single epiphany 
that you had when you were doing your first funeral service? I want to say the biggest epiphany I had personally was that I completely botched my mother's funeral. There were there are so many things that I've learned from funeral directors and so many opportunities and and suggestions and wonderful things and I remember the first time that we did our mystery shop, I think by about the third funeral home, I looked at Rich and I said, I, I got to go back and do this again because I did it wrong. I didn't do enough. I didn't do the right thing. There are just incredible things out there that people are doing and that funeral directors are suggesting. And I just wish that personally, but also for all the people in our focus groups who didn't have that kind of experience, that they could. Uh, yeah, and I, and I guess another epiphany that, that, that I had was that, I didn't know what I should do when I walked into on a lot of these mystery shops. And I found out later that the experience that I had didn't fulfill a lot of things, and I didn't know to ask about those things, and so they weren't met. But as we move further down the road in doing all the mystery shops, the epiphany started to take place when I walked in, and I found people who were incredible at planning, yeah. leading, informing, uh, and, and, and creating an experience that I felt like I was in a top-notch service provider in any industry. Really, it could have been a, it could have been a Tiffany's store. It really does. They were that, that thorough about everything that we were doing. So, you know, the epiphany took two stages. One was I didn't know a lot, and I realized later I didn't get a lot. And then on the other side of the coin, I didn't know a lot, and I came into an right. environment that just took me back uh, so pleasantly. You know, and it's a, it's a different level of customer care. We always talk about in our programs that it's no longer customer service and it's no longer customer care, it's customer advocacy. And truly, funeral professionals do advocate for their customers. If there's an issue with the cemetery, if there's an issue with the headstone, even if, there's not, even if they haven't sold that particular process, they get involved and they make sure that the customer is taken care of. You know, now we have met people who didn't offer that level of service, but you find that in every industry. But by and large, I want to say the people that we've met just over the top want to do the right thing for their customers. And I think, I think that's what blew me away the most. The integrity. Yeah. The dignity. The depth, the the depth of the, the depth. integrity. Right. Yeah, I think that, you know what, as I think it through, I think customers now, the general public, is creating a mindset of expectations on what should happen because people talk. And, and I think that, you know, the danger is in any business when a customer walks in, when a family walks into the funeral home, they are carrying some preloaded expectations that need to be met. You know, that's a huge part of what we do. A, a huge part of what we do is we bring the consumer perspective from a retail perspective. You know, when we go into a funeral home to work with them, the average customer who walks in is not familiar with what you're selling. And if they are familiar, they're not that familiar. So they walk into a selection room, for example, and they look at the caskets and they look at the urns and they look at the books, and they're in a, in a completely different mindset than somebody is when they're walking through a Hallmark store to look for a book. That is very correct. So what we bring to the table is, look, you have customers who have preset expectations of what merchandising is like. And if they're used to seeing merchandising like this, if you emulate that in your own funeral home, in your selection room, then when they walk in, they're going to be that much more comfortable 
than they would be if they were just walking in cold and see caskets lined up in a row and, you know, pale lighting and or, or pale no colors, display. no display. No um, signage. So we brought that to the table, too. That It's okay to think like a retailer. Don't go crazy, but it's okay to think like a retailer and set your selection room, display it in such a way so that people walk in and they're immediately comfortable. Rich and Georgianne, how important is the first impression that the consumer has when they meet a funeral director or go into a funeral home? Okay, we do this thing called the first 10 seconds, and that customers make value judgments within the first 10 seconds of contact when they walk into your facility. So they're making they're making a 10 second perception in the parking lot. They make one when they clock when they cross your front door. They make one in your office. They make one in your chapel. They make it in the planning suite. They make it in the selection room. If you have a kitchen and and restrooms, they are making value judgments in those places and and every single person does it in every single physical space that we walk into. We just don't realize that we do it. So they're walking into a funeral home and they're cataloging, do I like this place, do I not like this place, should I stay, should I leave? That could be 10 seconds. It can be 10 seconds or less. In the parking lot. <laughs> and the joke is that we have, you know, we always joke, what do you guys have, gas station bells in the parking lot? Because we'll pull in and walk in the front door and nine times out of 10, there's one or two or three people standing there up. waiting for us. <laughs> the lineup. This is going to be painful. Okay, so in the, in the selection room, for example, Every selection room has an area, just like every store does. There's a decompression zone. It's the first five feet inside the front door, and that's essentially no man's land. So I might walk into the first five feet of your selection room, and if that's where you have the books and the candles and maybe that's where the urns are, what happens is people walk past that ten feet, walk past that first five feet, and they don't even start looking or thinking about merchandise until they're past that point. So we'll say to funeral directors who might have a display of guest books right inside the front door, hey, do you sell many of these? No, I don't, and I, I don't know why because it's great stuff. It's because they're in the decompression zone and people don't see them until they're already inside and then they're thinking about something else. We teach them merchandising basics like having a speed bump, which is a display just past that five feet. Maybe it's a low table of jewelry. And when you're displaying jewelry, it's not necessarily in a locked case, but it's on those nice jewelry fixtures that displays the bracelets. And You know what I'm talking about, the velvet-covered ones? Display the bracelets, display necklaces, so that customers look at it and they think, oh, okay, I get that. I've seen displays like that in, in Nordstrom, and, and it's, just different merch, it's just different kind of merchandise. Rich and Georgian, you talked about first impressions and you talked about a decompression zone. Is there only one first impression or are there many? Many, many. Many in every room they walk through and, and literally with every contact they make with anybody that works in the funeral home. Yep. Uh, is, that, is that level of uh, potential thrill or potential letdown? So if those are moments of truth, or you want to call them moments of truth or pain points, the average customer that walks into a funeral home will have 25 of those. So we think, as merchants or as funeral professionals, you know, I just have to worry about my front door, and I have to make sure that the interior looks good and the chapel looks good. Uh, not customers today. We've had ladies in focus groups say to us, geez, there was dust on the back of those chairs that I had to sit in when I was, in, when I was there for the visitation. If they can't dust their chairs, what other corners are they cutting with my mother? 
You know, and, and comments like that make your head explode and you think, come on, really? Give but, them a break. <laughs> but really, but it's people's perceptions and that's what they're perceiving in that first 10 seconds. And you know what? That lady that told us that story, she was thrilled to death up until that time with that entire business, right? But once she sat down and saw it, then she had a negative experience. And that's why it's moment of truth, many moments of truth. Yeah, there are lots of them, Dan. Rich and Georgian, I'm curious. You talk about this decompression zone. It's an amazing concept. I don't think anyone in funeral yeah. service is employing it right now. But isn't this basically causing some of their space not to be used? So I just want you to think of those carpets that you can buy in any home improvement store that are three feet by five feet. That's a typical decompression zone. So if you just place that rack of guest books five feet in, or if you place it on the left side so that that customers see it when they're coming out of the room, you're in better shape. Because we, we just cannot focus on things that are within that first five feet. You have to give people a space to sort of, to decompress, to breathe. Yeah, I'll tell you what brings that to light is that we actually camped out in the back of a selection room and literally watched people as they came in and they thought of us as customers. So, you know, we weren't, you know, they didn't, they didn't feel any, they didn't think anything about us, but we camped out and watched their eyes. And one of the reasons that we stress this so much when we talk with funeral directors is this, when they first walk in that selection room, I mean, man, that's a, that almost takes a breath away. The reality of it is, is that now you're going to buy something for your mom or whatever, but they're looking at that vista, that, that whole expanse. So at room. that point, they're not detailed. They right. are just, they're really experiencing something. They have something blinders that, on. Yes, they do. They have blinders on. You know, it's really funny. We did a presentation in the funeral industry a couple of years ago, and I think there were maybe 200, 250 people in this audience, 300 people. And right inside the door that took you into the room, the <laughs> ballroom, we put signs up, tape signs up on the inside of the door in the decompression zone that said, if you read this, you win. So we're giving a presentation, we're talking, 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 and then we we started talking about the decompression zone, and we said, okay, who saw the signs in the decompression zone? Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hands. Proving the point that we don't see the things that are there. We saved a lot of $100 bills. <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm Dan Assard on the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio, and you're listening to George Ann Bender and Rich Kaiser of Kaiser and Bender. Rich and George Ann, I'm kind of curious about this because I remember when I started working with funeral homes almost 30 years ago, there was a bit of a personal shock. Did you guys have any reaction when you got your first phone call to start working for a funeral situation? Hey, I remember I took the call. <laughs> and I like what? My first No really, I'm serious. Here's what here's what we'd like you to do. And he went through the whole thing and it made perfect sense, but I thought, wow, that's something I've never done that before because my only experience with a funeral at that point and a funeral home was with my mother and it was a it was a not a you know not a good time so i'm thinking why do i want to go back and relive that and then i thought well yeah let's check it out but initially dan we're sort of taken aback but it makes absolutely perfect sense rich and george Ann, when you go into a funeral home do you see things differently because you're either an outsider or because you're a professional have you ever gone on vacation 
or gone on a trip and come back to your house and walked in the front door and go, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> that looks bad. It's because we we get this thing that Rich and I call retail tunnel vision, and what it's when you're so focused in on the things that you have to do for the day that you don't objectively see the big picture. So I heard, to get your head around. I heard a guy. I heard somebody tell a story one time, and it just cracked me up. But it, that this is the point. He said a man and woman just bought a house. The lady walked into the bedroom, said, "I love the house, but this wallpaper's got to go. I hate it." And she didn't change it, and she didn't change it. Finally, a year later, her husband said to her, I thought you said you loved this house, but you hated the wallpaper, and you were going to change it. How come you don't change it? And the wife responded by saying, because I just don't notice it anymore. And that's what happens to us in business today, is that we just don't notice it. It happens to us all the time. There. It happens to everyone. So when we come in, it's those, those innocent first-time eyes, and we point things out. And, and you brought up when someone has us come in and take a look at their funeral home, you know, the first thing we have to kind of put on the table in the discussions is, now, we're not here to make anybody feel good, so if you need to take antacids, you might want to have <laughs> them because we're probably going to tell you some things that will, you know, that will kind of upset your apple cart a little bit. But the fact that it matters is going to tell you the truth. We were in a, we did a consultation last week in a, in a retail store, and it was a gorgeous boutique. They sold gift and accessories. I mean, it was beautiful. Everything about this place, th- there was nothing wrong about it, except the signing. The signing was horrible. It was all handwritten. It was on neon paper. It looked like an afterthought. And I, we sat down with this, mm-hmm. the lady who owned the boutique, and we said, look, you have this gorgeous place. Look at you. You're impeccable. This signing does not go with your store. This signing doesn't even go in a dollar store. It's horrible, but it's not who you are. And she made those signs and put them up, but she she couldn't see them. What do they call it? Scotoma? She couldn't, she couldn't well, see sure. them. Yeah. She couldn't see them. But we'll bring it right home. I walked into one of the... Uh the, uh, su- the the funeral homes that we were in, and we were actually walking by, what are they, the Thummies, I think they're Thummies. called? And I said, I thought they're silver. And I looked at George, I said, I thought, weren't these silver? Aren't these supposed to be silver? And George said, they are. They had oxidized. They had oxidized. And w- we just went and got the funeral director and said, come out, just look at this. Is this right or wrong? And he looked and he said, my goodness, I've ne- I didn't notice it. There it is. So we just don't see things. We Dan. don't see things, and uh, and it's and look, you can't fault that by anybody because we're always busy. But the fact of the matter is, you know, George and I constantly preach that if we do nothing more than every day, make a 360 degree pass through your business. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, we don't want you to spend a lot of time, maybe three, four, five minutes. But when you walk in, the first thing when you haven't got anything else going. Just walk through, and don't worry about stopping. You don't have to take notes. Your eyes will see things that will just light a fire, and they'll remind you of that. We're also, we also don't let our clients say, well, it's usually not like that. Mm-hmm. Or last week, or someone called in sick, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the customer's perception. If we had been actual consumers and saw that, you know, you'd be in hot water. My guest today on the Dan Assard Show, Rich Kaiser, George Ann Bender. In the few years that you've been in funeral service, you guys impressed me as someone that has made certain opinions and figured things out very, very quickly. (laughs) I'd like to ask all of my guests on the show one question. It's a very simple question, but maybe it's very complex, and everyone's perspective is a little bit different. The question is this. What is it that funeral service has to do differently 
in order to remain profitable. Guys, I'd love your opinion. Get outside of your comfort zone. You know, there is a a whole world of people out there who have no idea what you do, and they are completely relying on you to take care of that. What do they say? lady in a focus group said, I don't know what I don't know. I did what the funeral director recommended. And sometimes what that funeral director recommends is great for that family, and sometimes later on they wish that he had gone, he or she had gone farther. So you know what? Get out of your comfort zone. Do things differently. We've heard the industry say for years, think like a wedding planner and, and plan the aspect. Offer people more. Offer them ideas. Offer them solutions. Partner with local restaurants and caterers and florists. And, you know, some people are putting coffee shops or, or serving hors d'oeuvres at visitations. Just do something that makes you uncomfortable because the things that make you uncomfortable are the things that are going to make customers want to do business with you. Just knowing a florist at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a, get Saturday. A, yeah, on a Saturday will get an order put through uh, for an important time, perhaps the first thing Monday morning. But you know what? That, so George is always saying that you know you have to be a, a total experiential retailer for your clients, and that's really what we are. So if they have questions, anticipate them. My response is I'm always saying six months after the funeral has taken place, if you're comfortable, and you should be, be able to call the people up and talk with them and say, if there was one more thing we could have done, just one more thing, to make it better for you. Mm-hmm. What would that one thing have been? Trust me, if you're perfect, they're going to tell you you're absolutely perfect. And you can probably take to the bank that they're going to talk about you to the next person down the road who has a need. If there is something and they bring it up to you, write it down. And if you had everybody on your staff do this, and everybody, let's just say everybody calls one person a week from six months ago and asks that question and catalogs the things by writing them down, will flat guarantee you certain things are going to start to surface as common responses. They wish you would have done something. Pay attention to detail. Sweat the small stuff. You know, if we hear one time, we've heard it a thousand times in focus groups, update your website. Give me more information about a funeral or a visitation than you think I need, and I mean the general public who's looking to come to a visitation. If you're going to serve coffee, if you're going to serve tea, serve it in a ceramic cup instead of styrofoam. Have chairs that are big enough for the average American and that are comfortable for us to sit in for a long period of time. In other words, it's what you just said, Rich, when you said do the 360-degree pass-by. Live in your funeral home the way a customer has to live, the way a customer has to experience it. It's easy to say it's hard to do, but it's mandatory. Rich Kaiser, George Ann Bender, Kaiser and Bender, K-I-Z-E-R-A-N-D-B-E-N-D-E-R.com. Rich and George Ann, thank you so very much for being a guest on the Dan Asard Show. I love your insights, and I want to catch up with you guys more and talk with you more. So I'm telling my listeners, expect more from Kaiser and Bender on the Dan Asard Show. And now let me welcome to the show Chris Raymond. Chris is About.com's editor on Death, Dying, and Grief. Chris, any last words you want to give to our audience today? Thanks, Dan. This episode's trivia question concerns the last words spoken by famous criminals. This individual's last words were, quote, Well, folks, you'll soon see a baked apple. Can you name this famous criminal? Here's a hint for you. 
While the exact circumstances of his crime are unknown, this man was convicted of murdering a New York City police officer in the 1920s. After sitting on death row awaiting execution, he entered Sing Sing Prison's execution chamber on August 9, 1928. According to Robert Elliott, the prison's executioner, who kept a journal about these capital punishment events, this criminal apparently found death in the electric chair amusing because of his last name. Think you know the name of the famous criminal whose last words were, Well, folks, you'll soon see a baked apple? I'll give you the answer after this message from Dan's sponsors. Dan, the famous criminal was George Apple, whose last name is spelled A-P-P-E-L. In his journal, Robert Elliott, the prison's executioner, described Apple as, quote, one of the toughest men I ever saw to sit in the chair. Nearly 100 years later, the dark humor of this tough guy's final words still cause us to smile, even if we're also shaking our heads because of the circumstances. Hello, this is Tyler Fraser, founder of Funeral Radio and CEO of UPD Earns. Let's hear what a couple of your fellow funeral directors have to say about UPD Earns. Since switching over to UPD Earns, we've actually sold more probably in two weeks than we did in two months. UPD Earns has been so helpful to us. We can order and earn online. We can have it here within a matter of two or three days often. Pull out your phone right now and text the words UPD Earns, no spaces, to the number 33444 and get your free catalog today. Hello. This is Chris Gordon from A Simple Thank You, the originators of Digital Registry. Our service allows us, or the funeral home, to print out a customized guest book, as well as acknowledgement cards that include addressing the envelopes to and from. This saves the family hours of time trying to decipher through illegible handwriting left by many guests. Visit our website, asimplethankyoufuneral.com, and see what funeral directors and families are saying about A Simple Thank You's Digital Registry service. Welcome back to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. My guest today is Jim Malamus, the owner and founder of Ace Casket. Uh, Ace Funeral Products is one of the largest, most well-known distributor of uh, Chinese, Asian imported caskets throughout the United States. And I want to talk with Jim about all the ways in which this is an important topic for funeral directors and funeral home managers to be considering. Jim, welcome to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Hello, Dan. It's a pleasure to be with you on your show, and, and I thank you for inviting me. I hope that I can be of some interest and provide some specific information for you and your listeners. Jim, I've known you for about uh, five, six, or seven years, and every single conversation I've had with you has taught me a little bit about life as well as the importing casket world. So I'm sure you will. But I'm sure my listeners would be interested to know a little bit about how you woke up one morning and found yourself as one of the largest importers of caskets to North America. <laughs> well, Dan, my, my background, uh, I've been working as in the import-export business for over 28 years, primarily in the Chinese market. Uh, over the years, we've been involved in many different products, including stadium seating and tempered glass to hockey arenas around the world. About 10 years ago, we were approached to source funeral caskets, and I've been working in this business ever since. Excellent. You know, Jim, uh, I would have to say that uh, your concept, your importing uh, of caskets that are uh, produced overseas is really one of the more controversial 
subjects that we've seen in the past decade. Uh, do do some people give you any crap? Being in the in, in the foreign trade business, uh, we understand the balance of trade is always an issue with with a lot of different countries, and uh, we're finding that buy American is a, is a is a good sentiment, of course, and and we do whenever we can. However, we've exported a lot of our jobs uh, to different countries around the world, and uh, I was told by one. One of our competitors, a former salesperson, with from one of our competitors, that they took a um, they took a potential customer to the factory where they make caskets, and when they went inside, they saw these boxes with uh, "Made in China" on the boxes. We don't have any fastener or screw companies in America. We don't have anybody that makes small springs or or clips or you know small stuff that we don't want to do anymore, or or fabric for that matter. So yeah, there's a bit of a rub at times, uh, saying, "Oh, we, you know, we don't want to support China or whatever." But uh, our shelves are full of products from China. Uh, if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or a, a multitude of other stores, uh, you're you're buying products from around the world, and a lot of it is is from China. Jim, when you think about the decision funeral home owners have to make about who to buy their caskets from, what are some of the uh, what, what what are some of the reasons that people choose not to buy your product? Uh, well, I think that currently uh, Ace Caskets doesn't have the national distribution that several of our current competitors do have. So that's the one item. But the people that get it and understand our, our model to supply uh, full containers of caskets to their location at a price that is three, four, five hundred, a thousand, twelve hundred dollars less per unit than uh, what they might be paying domestically is a tremendous motivator for some of the larger funeral homes that we've supplied. And I, I'll tell you that we have supplied the largest privately owned funeral home in America with caskets for a number of years uh, until they got bought by uh, a, a large public company that had a contract with another supplier. But uh, here's a fellow worth several hundred million, I'm guessing, that uh, looked at the model and said, uh, Jimmy, can you supply us these caskets? Uh, and I said, at a better price, with better service, with fewer problems, right to your door. And uh, it was a quite a good relationship we had for a number of years. You know, Jim, and the average consumer that goes to a funeral or a visitation sees a casketed body, and they're typically sitting or standing anywhere from 30 to 50 feet away from that casket. Is there any predictable way to tell the difference between an Asian casket and a U.S. casket manufactured by one of the top five or six companies? Uh, for a consumer, Dan, it, they don't see it. And I'll give you a prime example. Even professionals that are looking at it from a distance cannot tell the difference a lot of the times, most of the times. Uh, we had a distributor in the Maritimes of Canada and he had a ace casket, a primrose casket, sitting in a in a in a funeral home. And uh, the sales fellow from this competitor's company came by. The owner of the funeral home said, "Hey, uh, Jerry, which uh, which one of those caskets is yours?" Well, the sales guy looks at the caskets, both caskets from you know outside the room, and he he couldn't tell the difference which one was his, which one was the ace casket. And he got closer and closer. He said, "Well, this one is mine over here." And the funeral director says, "Yeah, but you know." Most of my customers don't get that close, and they don't know what you know. So, and and this is a thousand dollars less. So, tell me, what's my motivation here? Basically, if you're in business, 
the bottom line is critically important. If you want to keep those doors open, keep paying your bills, keep uh, supporting your family as they want, as you want to support them. So most definitely, if you can save money without giving up any quality or, or service for that matter, then uh, that's probably a, 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 an analogy that you can use to say, well, there's not much difference to the, the general consumer. You know, Jim, in uh, one of our clients is in a uh, very, very centered area where there is a major amount of hardwood furniture uh, being made. And obviously, just as the uh, Chinese factories have found a way to make uh, very effective hardwood as well as metal caskets, they've also found the same thing to do with U.S. furniture. And this client's business was adversely affected uh, by that only because there were layoffs. As these plants couldn't compete, they had to shut down or, or change their product line. And when he started offering uh, imported caskets to his families, as much as they should have found the concept to be anathema uh, to their being, they actually were choosing imported caskets because at the time of death, price was a factor for them. Most definitely. Now, let's uh, let's address the issue of Chinese caskets because the imported casket label is not maybe 100% accurate. The example is this. The wood that the caskets are made from is typically grown and milled and kiln-dried in uh, North America. It'll be like either USA or Canada, depends on which species of woods that we're looking for. Now, that wood is harvested cut, milled, and shipped to China. They manufacture the caskets to our specifications, to our designs, and then they ship it back. So we're basically, we're buying labor uh, at, a, at a discount. And those are jobs that, for whatever reason, we exported. And now we're, we're, you know, we're paying the price on that. But customers want value for their dollar. And, and that's where the value is coming from, basically, in getting, getting uh, the labor at a, at a discount. And as a, as a foreign trade consultant, Labor is leaving China or the, or the capital is leaving China and going to other countries now where the labor is even less expensive, like Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam and those areas. So um, one thing I will say is African mahogany comes from Africa. So that's one of the woods that we don't grow. But the oak and the walnut and the uh, maple and the birch, um, those are the ones that you know we ship over or are shipped over on a regular basis. And, and you can see pictures of it in the warehouses there that they have. With the, um, with the American lumber landing and being processed. Jim, I'm sure you're dealing with a large number of, of casket sales each year, and I don't want to get into that number, but I am curious. The, the one thing I've heard people say to me is, is that, oh, the, the product is inferior to a, um, a, a casket manufactured by one of the uh, major North American uh, casket companies. Do you get many returns? Um, now, I'll give you my personal experience because we have our own inspector that we hire at our factory, our factories in China uh, for the for the for the caskets that come out of China. And uh, if she has a failure, she hears about it right away, and her salary, her, what we pay her, is almost double. Or, or double of what she, the rest of the workers get in her area. So if she wants to lose that job, she'll let one slip through, uh, an ace casket go through. However, I must tell you, uh, there are rejected caskets, most definitely. Uh, I've seen them. However, 
the ace caskets reject pile goes one way and uh, doesn't go to an ace casket customer. So we guarantee the caskets 100%. If you got a problem with a casket, it's not your casket yet. It's still mine, and I'll take care of it to their satisfaction. Now, the, the quality issue, for example, let's, let me ask you this. Do you wear running shoes? Sure, I do. Do you wear Chinese running shoes, or do you wear Nikes? I, I use Nikes. Well, there you go. And, and if you look in the labels, on, look on some of your garments that you're wearing right now. How much of it is made in China? Or, Indo- or Malaysia, or Bangladesh, or some other, you know, thir- some other country. But so we, we rely on, on the outside labor to do this, and, and the quality in these countries is getting so fantastic because they have American, German, European managers running these factories, and they, they, they the Chinese are very good at copying and listening. Uh, perhaps not as great as innovators, but when they see something and they can copy it, they're like Xerox in the old days. They could just do it again and again and again, as long as you give them specific instructions specific uh, requirements here's what we need here's what we will not accept they'll hold true to that um to that product and you you won't have any problems or challenges with it they're buying technology from around the world as i said to improve the quality and reduce production times and maintain very good uh very good uh product quality so i invite anybody to that wants to to come with me to a to a factory in china i can show them walk them through and uh, spend you know a couple of days there, and you can see exactly what uh, it's like walking into a factory, almost like walking into a factory here, almost. My guest today is Jim Malamas, owner of Ace Funeral Products. You can check out Jim's website, which gives a little bit more understanding about his company products uh, and some of the stories about them at Ace A C E Funeral Products Plural dot com. Ace Funeral Products dot com. Uh, Jim, you know, one of the things that uh, I I make it a point to ask my guests uh, is about the business side of the funeral business. And I ask all of my guests one question. The question is this. What would you advise funeral homes or funeral home managers to do to guarantee their profitability into the future? Okay, Dan, good good question. I've got got a few thoughts on that, and I'll give you a couple of analogies. Uh, First of all, I don't do my own dental work. I don't operate on myself. I go with a specialist. So in the same token, I would look to um, specialists to help me with my operations. Funeral homes are much, are much like every other business. Every business has fixed costs and variable costs. I would look to getting specialists involved if I couldn't handle it myself to determine where can I cut costs, where can I be more efficient? Am I, is my financing in the right place? Should I be looking at lowering my mortgage rates, wherever my, my borrowing costs are? So, but in a, in a funeral business, and I look at it, I've been looking at it for a number of years, where can you cut costs? You have to have a certain base number of staff. Uh, your supplies, where are you going to cut that down on your supplies? It all, whatever the costs are, the costs are. I mean, your cars cost you money. You got gasoline, you got insurance, you got uh, all the other costs that you're, very well aware of. I, I'm looking at caskets as probably one of the areas where you could cut down on, on costs and have a significant saving that's going to go straight to the bottom line again. So, I mean, and I, I'm, it's a self-serving answer, but when you look at it analytically on a spreadsheet, you say, here's all my costs. Where can I cut costs? That's one of the bigger ones. If you can knock out, you know, as I said, between three and a thousand or twelve hundred dollars per unit savings, when you do that, a few hundred times a year, there's a quarter million dollars, half a million dollars, a million dollars, depending on how many calls you do. 
You know, Jim, the the answer seems so simple. Do you ever hear stories about families just saying, oh, I have to have an American manufactured casket? Um, you know, I, I, I don't get to that level of it. Typically, I deal with distributors and wholesalers and, and funeral homes because funeral homeowners call me and they ask me for different models that we have. And, you know, they're typically in a contract and or they might have a pre-need that they're getting killed on. They're upside down on underwatering. And uh, they say, you know, I've, I've given them this specification. And we had a number of those actually come out of uh, Florida not that long ago where the funeral home uh, owner was underwater for his uh, pre-need stuff. And uh, he was looking at ways to mitigate his loss. So uh, I haven't seen or heard anybody say, hey, your casket looks Chinese. or And again, I'm going to add one more thing. We don't call them Chinese caskets. These are ace caskets. And they're ace caskets for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're made to our specifications. Uh, we inspect every one of them. We guarantee them 100%. So we're, you're not dealing with the Chinese company. You're not ordering offshore. You're not dealing with a foreign bank. You've got our bank in Las Vegas, Nevada, where you send your money to. Uh, you've got us. To, we speak English. We, we understand what you're saying, and you can understand what we're saying. When we shake hands and make a deal, the deal's a deal. And uh, we don't renege on our word. As I said, we guarantee them 100%. So I've never had a person tell me that, nope, we don't want that cast because the customer says it's Chinese or, or otherwise. But uh, So I hope I've answered your question there, Dan. You, you have. And in fact, Jim, you, you raised a whole nother tangent of thought. Heretofore, a lot of the reasons that people went to the imported casket is because of the cost. But if there's a crack cocaine of funeral service that continues to get funeral service deeper and deeper into its clutch is pre-need and the guarantee of the pre-need. And as you said, you know, one of the big components on that guarantee is the supplier of the casket. So, you know, I guess I never thought about it before, but replacing the uh, uh, the original casket company that I was buying caskets from at the time when I made a prearrangement with a high quality replacement, but it happens to be at a far lower price because of a far lower cost of labor. Just seems like it makes a lot of sense. Well, if, let me ask you this question. As a, as a financial analyst that you are, you're looking at uh, casket costs going up three, four, five, six, seven, ten percent per year compounded over the past 20 years. Did your uh, did your fund compound increase to the same extent of, as that? I, I don't know. Oh, not not only no, but hell no. <laughs> I'm a money guy. I, I mean, the bottom line is I, I want to make, I mean, you're in business. Profit is a great word. You know, uh, there's, you've got to make profit. No profit? What, what are you working for? For the glory? Okay. Volunteer. Join the Peace Corps. <laughs> Well, Jim, I guess that kind of sums it up. Uh, obviously, uh, Ace Casket, Ace, Ace Funeral Products has a great story to tell, and it has an opportunity for those that are willing to see the bigger picture, especially the business picture. And uh, your company is available to them. Jim, thanks for being a guest on my uh, my podcast. Dan, it's a sincere pleasure speaking to you today, and, and I hope I was able to give some enlightenment to some areas of the casket business. Uh, apparently, I'll be speaking at the uh, San Antonio ICCFA show for a seminar on caskets, uh, so perhaps I might see you there again. 
That's excellent. And Jim, yes, you definitely gave enlightenment like a Buddha. <laughs> My guest today, Jim Malamuth, Ace Funeral Products. You've been listening to The Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. My guest today on The Dan Assard Show is Irina Jordan, the founder of Artisern. And Irina and I are going to be talking a little bit about her company and how it helps funeral directors deal with the entire concept of the use of memorials in the 21st century. Irina, thank you for being my guest, and welcome to the Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Thank you, Dan, for having me. I'm very excited. Excellent. Irina, tell me a little bit about what brought you into uh, the funeral world and and uh, then the application of your products. I've come from the business background. My corporate career was in marketing and public relations. However, due to some family and personal tragic losses, especially losing a very close friend last year, I was spending more and more time in funeral homes and just getting and learning more about what it entails. And what resonated with me the most were the cremation urns. Yes, it does sound morbid, but for me, they were fascinating. And the ones that I found the most fascinating were the ones that were handcrafted. And that's how I found my niche, because my niche is very specific. It's only handcrafted cremation urns during keepsakes. That's it, nothing else. Now, there are a lot of producers of urns. Uh, I have to say yours are a, a beautiful product, and, and uh, from your website, they, they are extremely remarkable uh, in, in their presentation. Thank you. But the, the, the total scope of what you do deals with jewelry and other keepsakes. Tell me a, a little bit about uh, how you use jewelry uh, to help as a gift of healing. I look at my offerings as a package deal, and I know that that's how funeral homes work as well. For me, if somebody goes to look for an urn, they invariably start looking for some accessories. Jewelry and keepsakes are those things. So instead of going to multiple sites and looking for many different things and getting frustrated, people come to my site, they see everything that they can find for after cremation, and they buy package deal. They find an urn that they like, or urns, if it's a family affair, where they end up with individual size urn, keepsake urn, sharing urn, whatever works for them, and jewelry pieces for family members. It can be the ones that you can put ashes in yourself, or you can send in ashes and we can fuse them. The other service I just started providing is that prior to cremation, people can save locks of hair of their loved ones and we have jewelry that can preserve that hair. So that way, they have the comprehensive way to memorialize their loved one, and it's been working very well. Many years ago, I was working with a client in Collinsville, Illinois, just east of St. Louis by the name of Robert Herr, H-E-R-R, and Bob is a great collector of funeral remnants of the 1800s and before, including a number of Lincoln items. And one of the things that Bob showed me in his collection are hair 
not only inside of lockets, but hair that was braided as a wristlet mm -hmm. or for a necklace. Are you seeing that people are comfortable with that idea? I think people are comfortable with the idea of hair being inside. People, not all of them, most of them are not comfortable with actually hair touching their skin. For example, hand-woven, hair-woven bracelets or exposed hair. And that's why what I decided, I decided to resurrect it, but with a modern twist, where you can have a contemporary piece of jewelry, but the piece of hair will be locked inside for two purposes. The first one is for the aesthetic purpose, where it's pleasing to the eye without really freaking people out. And the second one, you can extract DNA from hair. So by carefully preserving it inside a container that's airtight, if ever you need to, you can actually have your ancestor's DNA extracted and analyzed. So it's a dual purpose for that. It's interesting. You say you come from the business world, but I have to say the uh, website shows some amazing uh, artistic pieces as well. Uh, did, are you the designer, creator, or just the uh, business mind? behind the distribution of these? I, you can think of me as an ads broker. What I've done is think of Etsy, but I'm Etsy for only cremation handcrafted pieces. I brought all these artisans that dedicated their lives to making those urns and jewelry and keepsakes, and I represent them. But what else I do, I commission pieces and I inspire them to develop new lines, new urns. The memorial hair jewelry, I commissioned it. Uh, a lot of pieces that you have in my novelty, very unusual pieces that attract younger audiences, I commissioned them. What I do, I inspire them and I help them to develop something that they have not thought about it before. So it's more of a collaboration, but I'm not an artisan and I'm not an artist. I can, I can call myself a business artist, but that's the extent of it. It's interesting. The name of your company is a blend between uh, two words. Could you explain uh, how you came up with the name of your company, Artisern? Yes. I am a big fan of strong online presence. And as you know, getting a unique URL it can be a challenge. So I've been blending a lot of words that made sense to me. And the winning combination was Artisan and Earn merged together. So you get Artisan. And of course, this URL was not taken. Win-win. <laughs> and the URL is A-R-T-I-S-U-R-N dot com. Yes. And it's a most uh, interesting website, and uh, I think it, it serves well as a introduction for funeral home owners and managers to look at, as well as, I think, the general public. Yes. What... What I recommend to other vendors or even funeral directors, two pieces of the site that I find of high importance are FAQs, and they do not to be boring FAQs. Any answer and any question that comes your way, record it in your FAQs. And the second is blog. Blog is your lifeline. It's great for your dynamic content and also addressing those who are flocking to your site, grief loss, pet loss, how this urn made, how do I, how is this made, and how do I ship this? I mean, anything that comes your way, record it in your FAQ and create a blog post. Those are the two 
sections that are of utmost importance to any professional. I love the fact that uh, you just raised a whole tangent that we don't spend a lot of time talking about, at least on uh, the Dan Assard show uh, on Funeral Radio. But uh, when you talk about uh, dealing with pet issues, and obviously uh, people have great love for their pet and, and the death of a pet, uh, really rock someone's psyche. Uh, many of your pieces uh, can incorporate pet hair or obviously pet urns. Yes, you can do ashes in the jewelry, uh, pet hair, short hair or long hair, it does not matter. We have special section just for the pet urns. What I do find interesting that pet owners, or we call them pet parents, who are really lost their pet and they're mourning them, they don't think of them as pets. They think of them as people. So when they go and look for an urn, they look for an urn that resonates with them, the one that they find the most appealing, that speaks to them. And I had the most soulful conversation with people who lost their pets. This is truly inspiring and very heartwarming. Well, it is fascinating with the depth of your website, and, and it really is a, a very well put together website. Uh, your uh, commissioning of, of various urns uh, takes into consideration different sizes uh, of pets, uh, which is really uh, very, very empathetic. It is, and when you think about pets, you don't you you don't think just about cats and dogs. I had people who birds ashes, snake ashes, parakeet ashes. I mean, the gamut that people think of a lot of animals that live for a long, long, long time. And those are the pets that they mourn the most because they spend with them their almost entire lives. So when you think about pets, there is no limitation of what they might be. And people really, really thankful that they can find pieces of different sizes and jewelry because, for example, for the ashes of the bird, you can just need an earned jewelry piece because it's so tiny, and they can wear that, and it's always with them, and they can rub it and touch it, and it's very comforting for them. My guest on the Dan Assard Show is Irina Jordan of Artisern, talking about the use of memorials in the 21st century, uh, both of what her company does and it seems that you came into this because of a personal calling due to uh, tragic moments in your life. How do you feel that uh, funeral home owners and funeral directors can help families by the use of uh, creative keepsakes and jewelry? I think this is a tremendous opportunity for funeral directors. What's been happening so far is I get calls from funeral homes and they say, I have a customer sitting in my office and they want this piece. I did not even know you can fuse ashes with glass. And now I'm looking at it and I'm very, very fascinated. So what's happening, their customers are driving them to my site. I am reaching out to funeral directors and to funeral homes, but at the same time, they are coming to me because they are client families telling them, this is what I want. So if they want to be proactive, they can incorporate all, some of those jewelry or the urns, especially handcrafted urns, as one of the a la carte options. Why not? This will just increase their value. Irina, one of the questions that I ask all of my guests uh, is the following, and I'd be especially interested to get your point of view, both because you're relatively new to the uh, funeral world, 
but also because you came into it because of uh, the passion that you found uh, in, in your life. So the question is this. What do you believe the funeral profession needs to do to be profitable into the future? Before I give you an answer, let me set the proper context for that. I have the utmost respect for the funeral professionals, and I know that a lot of them love what they do. At the same time, this is a very traditional industry, and there are certain things that are very hard to part with. However, I highly encourage any funeral directors to start looking outside of their funeral homes and start incorporating more things that are already out there and consumers are looking for, especially baby boomers. Green burials, yes. Scattering cruises, yes. Home funerals, yes. Fusing ashes with glass, yes. Do you have it on your menu? Do you have it something that will educate your customers about it? No, then you should find a way to have it as an option, not as an afterthought, but actually something that is part of what you offer to your client and to your families, because they will thank you for it. This is an emerging trend in a lot of areas, and yes, cremation is the dominant trend, and it's overtaking the traditional burials and will be dominating in the next few years. It is what it is. But there are also other trends that are coming the funeral profession's way, and they are aware of it, but they're just a bit slow to answer it. And I can be a witness to that because, again, I spent considerable amount of time of reaching out to funeral directors on LinkedIn, on Facebook, just emailing them, come, going to meetings on one-on-one and talking to them. And they seem to be very hesitant in a lot of cases to embrace certain things that are coming their way because they have their own vendors, they have their own pricing policies, they already know what works. But I also encourage them to try something that's new. You will be surprised that a lot of things that you may think that will not work will become one of your most, your key, something that will be a crown jewel of your offerings. And again, say yes to things that come your way, and you will be rewarded. My guest today has been Irina Jordan, founder of Artisern a unique approach, a great website, www.artisurn.com. And I encourage my listeners to take a moment, go through her website. It is uh, uh, most deep, and it has a a great many product offerings that are unique, one-of-a-kind, and very practical for what you're dealing with. Irina, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It's been really, really helpful. Excellent. You've been listening to The Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. We'll be back. You've been listening to the historic show six of The Dan Assard Show on Funeral Radio. Thank you for being with us today. Let me know if there's any questions you want to make sure we have answered. Go to our Facebook page. Go to our online page. and reach out to me. Please tell your friends about this show. If you've been listening to this show, you know that we are uncut and uncensored analysis of the funeral and cemetery world. Today, my guests were Rich Kaiser and George Ann Bender from Kaiser and Bender, from Ace Casket, the dynamic Jim Malamas, and the passionate, artistic Arena Jordan 
from Artisern. And of course, my regular contributor, About.com's blogger on death, dying, and grief, Chris Raymond. I want to thank my editor, Chan Shulman, my executive producer, Tyler Fraser, and of course, the love of my life, my executive assistant, and all-around brain trust, Catherine Bellavo. Please make sure to like us on Facebook, sign up for the automatic downloads from iTunes, read my columns in the Director Magazine, and other articles through ICCFA, Catch me at one of the upcoming conventions that I'm speaking at. And please make sure you download any notes that we have on our webpage. Until we get to producing show number seven, let me ask you to ponder the question proposed by George Carlin before he died in 2008. He asked, if one synchronized swimmer drowns, do the rest drown also? As always... If I embarrass you or offend you, tell your friends. Thank you very much.